Bonjour everyone and welcome back to Casseline, the French football podcast with the accent brought to you by Breaking the Lines. As usual, go and check out Breaking the Lines, the, the website to read all the articles. It's on breakingthelines.com. There's a, an article about uh, Lim, the um, president owner of Valencia and how he kind of ruined the team and, and a couple of cool tactical pieces on, on pressing traps uh, as well as uh, what's going on at QPR and at Bournemouth. This season today on Castellini, we're going to talk about, of course, French football, of course, what happened this weekend on game day 25, and of course, Le Classique, who was uh, the game of the weekend. As you can see, I'm not shy of, of representing the losing team on the weekend. We have the, uh, if, you, if you're watching the video, we got um, the Stade Vélodrome impression behind me, and, and I'm wearing the Marseille shirt. It was a tough weekend for me, uh, and, and to make it, I guess, uh, a, a bit more... Um, Healing. Uh, it's my second podcast about French football. I was lucky enough to be on the official Ligue 1 podcast um, yesterday. Go and check it out when it gets released. Um, Le Beau Jeu is the name of the podcast. I was lucky enough to be with Ian Oliman and uh, Andreas Evagosta, who are um, two of the main uh, commentators of all the Ligue 1 games in English. So, so go check out this uh, this podcast as well, where we spoke at length on uh, Paris Saint-Germain Marseille, or Marseille-Paris, I should say, uh, as well as the other games of the weekend. Today, of course, we will discuss again um, at, la at length that game between Marseille and Paris and, and what it meant for both clubs and how Paris, well, dominated Marseille in their garden. But we'll also talk about Nice and we'll talk about Reims and, and Lyon and all those teams that had a, a great weekend and some not so much. All right, breaking the lines, Cassel Ligne start now, but first, music. So, Le Classic. Le Classic was the game of the weekend, the last game of the weekend, but of course the game that everybody was expecting. There was words that it was Marseille's time to really challenge for a title, that after that French Cup win, Marseille could do it again and put that pressure on Paris Saint-Germain coming back. Two points behind them, well, none of that happened. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain dominated Kylian Mbappé, uh, two goals, one um, assist. I mean, what else do you need from uh, the best player in France, maybe the best player in the world? At the moment, is 199th and 200th goal with Paris Saint-Germain in uh, 246 games. Um, Cavani had, had scored 200 goals as well, but in 301 games. So Mbappé is uh, breaking records uh, by the day right now. It's... It was a 3-0 win for Paris Saint-Germain. It was almost an uncontested win. I mean, Marseille had their chances early, but just couldn't convert. And then, of course, against a team like Paris Saint-Germain, it, it, it is not forgiving. And you can't just afford to, to miss opportunities against Paris Saint-Germain. And, and PSG just showed what they can do when they play at their top level without Neymar, with three actual midfielders in the middle of the park and with a, a proper support cast for Mbappé and Messi. Lots to talk about of that, that classic. And, and we're going to start with, I guess, um, the tactical side of that game and, and how Galche did what it took to, I guess, add class Tudor on, on the game and, and what it looked like from both sides. So let's look at, at Paris first. Um, Paris was starting with um, three defenders. You know how, how Galche started playing early this season and then went back to 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. Um, and then without Neymar, he's happy to go back to a 3-5-2 uh, and how that was basically the, the change that kind of like made it. For, uh, for Paris Saint-Germain. This plus the intensity put in, of course. But yeah, 3-5-2, Kimpembe, Ramos, Marquinhos were the three defenders. 
Verratti as the, the deep line playmaker with Vitinha and Ruiz in those half flanks left and right. And then um, Nuno Mendes on the left and Norji Mukele at the right with Mbappé and Messi up front. How did that look tactically? Well, it looked like the way the French national team plays. It looked like a team that was defending a lot, defending well, all of them but Messi and Mbappé, of course. And every time the ball was coming out, we were looking for Messi, we were looking for Mbappé behind the defence, and then he was stretching the other team and really having that danger in Kylian Mbappé up front caused issues for Marseille. I think the real the real winner of this uh, of this tactic is Galtier because I guess it comforts him in, in his choice that, well, you can't have them three playing together, Mbappé, ne- Messi and Neymar, uh, because if, if you have Messi who likes to hold the ball, Neymar who likes to hold the ball, and Mbappé who sometimes likes to hold the ball, then you're slowing down the process a little bit too much, whether if you have Verratti, Vitinha and Ruiz with, with the, the two late, the two ladders happy to always project themselves and bring the ball forward, then it's going to help Mbappé and Messi being in the best situation defensively playing with three defenders really allowed them to to stop um, Marseille in the way they attack. You know, if you if Sanchez has always have somebody next to them, if Under can't create because Kimpembe isn't far, if you have your two wing backs stopping, you know, on one side it was Tavares, on the other side it was Kolasinac, you're you're really playing on your strength and you're really playing against the strength of Marseille. I think, you know, m- maybe Galche's luck in a way is that Marseille didn't change what they usually do. They did what they've always been doing uh, since Tudor has, has taken over and it was trying to keep possession, trying to attack. And it's playing in the trends of Paris Saint-Germain because they love playing against a team that will not park the bus, that will not stay behind, that will keep pushing and then they can play um, the, the counter-attack. Kimpembe being injured meant that... Um, we had an early substitution with Danilo Pereira coming in. Uh, and you could see that it's probably not ideal to have three defenders with Danilo Pereira in the middle of the three. But they managed, uh, and you know, if they can do it at the Stade de Rome, and, and I'm quoting Galchier there, uh, well, that means they can do it at the Allianz Arena as well in Munich. And so it, it's something interesting for next week, the um, second leg of the Champions League, uh, where Paris Saint-Germain has to go and win in Munich because they lost 1-0 at home. Uh, it's interesting that they, they can have that game at the Velodrome under their belt where they show that they could do it. More than the tactic, it was also the way the, the players approached the game. I think the intensity was unmatched from Marseille and that's the other way around that what happened at the, at the French Cup game. Uh, during the French Cup game, Marseille really dominated physically and, and was able to really make that midfield theirs. Well, yesterday, it was it was the exact opposite. The first ball that came to Alexis Sanchez, Sergio Ramos was straight on his back and, and pushing him. The first ball that Nuno Tavares had on the left, Nuno Mendes aggressively took it from him. Same on the other side when Kolasinac had the ball. Nordi Mukele was there every time. They were able to get close to the box, the, the Marseille player, where you had a, a defender really risking it all to stopping them. That, that tackle from Norge Mukiele on um, Nuno Tavares really shows that. Uh, and, and once you bring that kind of physicality, that intensity, uh, well, you're telling Marseille that it's not going to be easy for them. And if you add this to that constant threat, which is Lionel Messi and Mbappe up front, you're stretching this Marseille block now who loves to press, but you have the tactical and the technical ability to break that press early on. And we've seen it with all those passes, Marquinhos, Mukiele, Vitinha and Verratti playing well on the right side. Fabian Ruiz, Kimpembe, Mendes, 
and Messi or Verratti playing well on the left side. That was the best way for them to actually break the pressing. And you were seeing Marseille players looking at each other, asking, you know, why is our press not as coordinated as usual? Why aren't we able to stop them in, in their endeavor? But that's because technically Paris Saint-Germain is better. They should be better every single game. Uh, but they were actually better this weekend uh, at the Stade Velodrome and, and there was no press that, that could be done by the Marseille team. And when they were able to get out of that press, well, all of a sudden they were creating space, um, the Paris Saint-Germain team. And that's what happened on the first goal. You know, they get out of that press onto the right side. Mbappé does the, the perfect run from left to right to find himself into an empty space. And then, of course, the genius of Messi uh, with that assist and the finishing of Mbappé made the whole difference. But we've also seen it, you know, after the second game, after the second goal, uh, Marquinhos just ran through heaps of space in the middle of the park, no one to stop him. Uh, and again, that showed that tactically, uh, this PSG team really put OM to the task and really played into the weaknesses of Marseille, you know, trying to put Rongier in some sort of a center defender role between Bailly and Balergi probably wasn't the best idea um, from, from Tudor. But, but I think it's also what they had to do with the player that they had. Um, and let's go a little bit to Marseille. Uh, so, of course, not having Mbemba, not having Gigo proved costly for Marseille because the defense ended up being Rongier in the middle, Bailly on the right, Balergi on the left. And then you had, uh, as, a, as a right wing back, Nuno Tavares at the left wing back, Seat Kolesinac in the middle of the park, Veretout and Genduzi with Under Malinovsky in front of him and Sanchez at the number nine. Well, we know that the midfield that works for Marseille is having Rongier Veretout next to each other and Genduzi higher. Now, if you put Genduzi a little bit lower, uh, it could it can be helpful, but it's just not as good as Rongier has been this season. And if you put Rongier in central defense, he's not going to have the same um, you know the same habits, the same understanding with the other defender than what we have when we have the usual three. If you have Bay on to the right, now you have to compensate, and so that's why you put Nuno Tavares on the right to try and stop Nuno Mendes and Kylian Mbappe. So Tudor, on one end, had to adapt to the team that he was playing against and do the players that he had available by putting Nuno Tavares on the right, by putting Rongier um, down there, by putting Seat Kolasinac on the left, which he has done several times already this season. But on the other hand, he didn't want to change the way he plays um, his football, which is, you know, attacking and pressing high and trying to always keep possession of the ball and trying to break the, the other defense. So it's, you know, you, one could say it wasn't the right choice to try and keep playing the football that you play against a Paris Saint-Germain team that has Mbappé. It's a different story when you have Mbappé. But one could also say, and, and that's what Tudor said, um, that, that's how they've been playing all year, Marseille. And what would they change because they play against Paris Saint-Germain? What it just shows is, you know, what more this team needs to do to be at the level of a Paris Saint-Germain. Maybe it was just if you have Chancel and Bemba, maybe this team is all of a sudden good enough because you don't have that off balance anymore. Maybe it's just that everywhere on the park, there needs to be a little bit more talent. There needs to be a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more technique in, in this team. I've never, you know, in the past three, four months, I haven't seen that many loose balls from, from Marseille. A lot of passes were missed. Uh, and despite having the, the brunt of the possession, uh, they finished the game, Marseille, with uh, 54% possession, obviously. Paris kind of left them the ball once they were up 2-0 and then 3-0. Uh, well, they were losing, you know, they were 
losing balls down into their own half. Uh, there were some loose passes from from Balerji mainly, uh, a few from Veretu, and and some of sometimes he was just you know clearing the ball because they just didn't know how to um, get through, how to break the lines, how to get through that Paris Saint-Germain team anymore. So I think I think Marseille really found their match on that game again. Nothing that we shouldn't expect. Paris is the best team in Liga and it should be the best team in Liga with the player that they had. Uh, but I think it was it was probably a humbling result for Marseille. It was probably um you know a, a reminder of what they need to achieve, where they need to get to try and and challenge this Paris Saint-Germain team for the Champions League, for the championship, excuse me. Um, and it looked like right now it's too late. The title kind of seems to be given to Paris Saint-Germain. It's eight points between number one and number two. I doubt Paris is going to lose three games while Marseille wins every single game between now and the end of the season. So so the title is really, um, you know, sort of like 93, 94%, I'll be precise, in uh, the capital again. Uh, but I think it's a good reminder for Marseille of, of the work that, that is left to do to get there and a good reminder for Tudor that, you know, I don't know, I don't know if it was arrogant or if it was planned to keep them playing the way they play. Against Mbappé, you have to change the way you play. He's the best player in the world. You have to put somebody who can stop him. You know, Bailly, poor, poor guy, of course, has only played about an hour uh, since the beginning of 2023 after being suspended for seven games and that horrible kick in the French Cup. And if for his first game back in the starting lineup, he's got Kylian Mbappé in front of him, who unfortunately made a bit of a mockery of him, at least in the first half. In the second half, uh, Eric Bailly was a little bit better. Uh, but of course, Mbappé had already scored twice by then. Um, so it's it was a complicated game for Marseille. The player not being here, of course, didn't help. Um, and maybe Tudor, like I said, maybe it was planned. Maybe it was a way to say, you know, we lost against Nice a couple of weeks ago. We saw what they could do in counter-attack. Now we're losing against Paris because they're playing counter-attack as well. Not every team is going to play into counter-attack, but we have to find ways to play against those teams that play counter-attack without changing um, you know, our, our core I guess our core values and the way we play football. It might be a way for him to try and, and teach something to Marseille. It might be a way for him to say you know, the title wasn't... Um, was never, I guess, an objective. The objective is to try and, and win the Coupe de France if they can, um, and also to try and finish second so they can qualify for the Champions League and, and keep progressing. Who knows? On the day, uh, Paris Saint-Germain was better and, and Marseille struggled. Marseille had opportunities. You know, Tavares almost had a 1v1 and then he took too long to get into his right foot and uh, in his left foot, I should say, and Mukiele tackled him. Then, you know, three minutes later, Duno Tavares, after a great pass by Sanchez, is by himself two meters from the box and completely misses his volley in the second half when they're already down 2-0 or 3-0 I can't remember that opportunity from Sanchez that uh, Donnarumma saves on his line and then you got that 1v1 missed by Vitinha at the very end Vitinha the Marseille striker so there was chances for Marseille to at least score one goal it wasn't to be uh, and it was I think yeah like I said a good humbling defeat for Marseille and, and a good uh, a good sign of what they have to do in the next few games to try and and stick to that second place and to to get stuck um, into that Champions League for, for next year. I think one player that we can't talk about enough is, is of course, Kylian Mbappé. Uh, and and the, the effect that he has on this PSG team and the effect that he has on the whole competition. I mean, of course, when you have Kylian Mbappé in that Paris Saint-Germain team, 
there's danger every time he's going to get the ball. He needs to focus two or three defenders on him, which creates space uh, for the other teams again, uh, for the other teammates again. And, and we've seen that uh, when he came in later in the game against Bayern Munich. We've seen that, of course, against uh, Lille last week. We've seen that against Marseille. This weekend, Kylian Mbappé is really the player uh, who is the X-factor for Paris Saint-Germain in case we had any doubt. Um, you know, without Neymar, Paris might be better because there is that support coming into the middle of the park next to Verratti. Um, but I think Kylian Mbappé is really the, the game-changer in there because Messi, whenever he's looking for him, is going to find him. Of course, Mbappé is going to finish that third goal. is is beautiful, the, the left-foot volley uh, after that little... Um, little of a pass from a little nick of a pass from uh, Messi was you know just testament testament of to the um, to the talent that Kylian Mbappe has. Uh, but I think you know the way he plays, the way he shows up, game in, game on, the way he's able to score in the most important game. I mean, you know, Marseille. We know that the rivalry isn't as it used to be between Marseille and Paris Saint Germain. But Marseille is an important game for Paris and Paris players. They know that. Losing against Marseille has a different significance, and and it shows in the results. You know, Paris in all competitions since uh, QSI took over, they won 22 times against Marseille. 22 times out of uh, 29 games, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, it was four draws and three losses. So th- they know how to play against Marseille. They know that they have to turn up, and when they turn up, they are better than Marseille. But if they want to turn up and they don't have Mbappe, it's another team. Mbappe is the the difference maker. And hopefully, you know, I feel like I say that every six months. We've said that last year when there was that whole saga of him maybe leaving. Uh, we've said that the year before. We always say this. Hopefully, they finally put him at the heart of their project, QSI, because there is a with or without Mbappe. And if you're going to try and win without Mbappe, you're really making the job hard for yourself. Play with Mbappe. Make sure that your team is built around him or if not around him at least in a way that allows him to be the most um, lethal possible in a way that allows him to um, you know play the football that he loves to play give him his freedom giving only one player offensively that that is giving him the ball or give him you know a, a number nine like Giroud is in in the French national team but don't you know don't think that someone else is going to be as good as Mbappe I think if we had any doubt, again, by now, um, this should be clear. I mean, L'Equipe, the French uh, national n- newspaper, um, had as their title, uh, Planet Mbappé. And that's true, you know, to to quote um, and translate the quote of a, a famous French pundit right now. Um, he, he says, we're just here to accompany you. Well, that's what it is, you know. Um, Walid Arsiachou is his name. Uh, we're just here to accompany Mbappé and see how, how great he is and, and how you know, compared to maybe other players, compared to Neymar, clearly, um, his talent doesn't prevent him from working hard and keep, keep trying to be at his best level. And on, on at that level, you know, I think he's, he's earned the comparison with the Messi and the Cristiano Ronaldo, even though he hasn't reached that potential yet, or maybe he has, but at least he was, he's not, um, you know, sort of like leading his team to multiple titles in Champions League and, and you know, 40, 50 goals a season. Uh, but, but he's on his way there, and, and I think Paris Saint-Germain, hopefully, finally understands it, finally understand that, you know, if you play a 3-5-2, that's probably the best for Mbappé. If you're not going to play a 3-5-2, you need four, four midfielders who are happy to defend and, and to put him into the best um, disposition because 
3-0 win at the Velodrome is what happened when Kian Mbappé is in, in his best form and in the best situation to be able to, to score goals. That's the classic. That's, uh, I guess, yeah, the, the longer chat about the classic. Of course, Marseille is going to play midweek against Annecy in the French Cup. And at the end of the week, they will travel uh, to Rennes, which will be uh, a pretty interesting game. Rennes against Marseille to, to end the weekend. And, and Paris Saint-Germain will play against Nantes on Saturday night, Sunday morning here in Australia. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what Paris does because four days later, this is there is this uh, all-important, crucial game in Munich against the Bayern Munich. The next game that I wanted to look at uh, is, well, the team that's just behind Marseille, Monaco. Uh, and Monaco was uh, was kind enough to Marseille to not win the Derby of the South against Nice at home. Uh, well, just like Marseille, they lost 3-0. And just like Marseille, they just found the team in front of them that was very good at counter-attacking uh, and got punished. Um, nice scored three times in the first half. Nice shot three times in the first half and all three shots were on target and all three shots on target gave them goals. Terem Mofi at the 8th and the 26th minute his first goals for Nice and Kefren Turam at the 43rd minute on an assist from Terem Mofi. To put this aside, if you have watched the game and if you have watched that jersey, I don't know what happened with that purple and red. I was trying to think, what does that remind me of? I think the last time I've seen those colors together was maybe uh, Vince Carter's Toronto Raptors shirt. Um, it, I, I don't know what they did. I don't know why you would play like this. I feel like the, the jersey would have looked amazing in black and red, but they went for uh, for purple and red instead anyway. That, that's the jersey put aside. Uh, that aside, DJ Giga, of course, is having um, you know an amazing stint so far at Nice. He's been confirmed to be the Nice coach until the end of the season. Uh, it's win-win-win for, for Nice right now. And, uh, you know, I said it last time, they won against some of the best teams. They built Marseille, Lens, and Lille. Well, now they've added the scalp of Monaco to their um, to their cover. Then it looks, it starts to look okay for Nice. It'll be interesting to see when it stops. Uh, you know, to to quickly look into the future, they're going to play against Auxerre, um next week. And then the following week, they're going to Nantes uh, before Lorient. And, and then maybe... Um, you know, eventually a test, but but so far it looks like it's kind of on the open to them if they if they start this way. Uh, I think the next big game that they're playing will be against Paris Saint Germain, and it's early April. Uh, so obviously I feel like it'll it'll depend on what happens then. If Paris Saint Germain is still in the Champions League, it might be a, a different kind of game. But if they're not, it'll be a, it'll be a real test for Nice. But it is you know, five games away from now. And between now and then, who knows how many games they'll be able to win uh, Les Aiglons. This weekend's game against Monaco, what they did well is what they've been doing since Giga took over. Defending well, that, that defense, Dante Tojibo uh, and, and Dayishimie really worked well. Amraoui and Lotomba on both sides did the job. I was, I was quite impressed by Amraoui. I mean, you know, it's never easy to play against Monaco and to be on the wing. It is okay, the young player. I think, you know, Mofi scores twice. Churam scores once. One assist from Churam, one goal from Churam, two goals from Mofi, one assist from Mofi. One of the players that is really a different maker um, is Budawi, I think, in the middle of the park. We've seen Budawi play a right-back position for the past two, three years, but he, want, he is a central midfielder. And putting him in the middle of the park has really changed the way this Nice team uh, plays. He's like... he. He harasses 
the other teams. Uh, he's always here. There's always, he's got those long Patrick Vieira style legs uh, and, and he's always able to, to stop attacks, to uh, tackle when it matters. When he's got the ball, he's got technique plenty. So he's able to really turn around and find, you know, Laborde or Mofi or Turam or Ramsey next to him. And it's really a, an ensemble, this team who's, who's working well. They're able to compensate for each other. They are not shy of running. Uh, and, and we've seen it this weekend. Of course, Monaco had played 120 minutes midweek against Leverkusen. They had lost, which which I'm sure, uh, you know, sort of like left a, a little bit of, uh, of trauma, uh, at least in, in their psychology. Uh, but, you know, considering three goals on their only three shots on target in the first half is, of course, something that a team like Monaco uh, won't accept easily or, or won't really be happy with. We still have that issue in, in defense in Monaco without Van Dersen, without Aguilar. There is no right back. Matsima, who scored last week, was put on again, but this time he struggled a little bit against Murphy. Uh, there was, you know, on that first goal, the defense is not aligned perfectly. On that third goal, nobody's here to sort of like protect the, the outside of the box from a shot from Turam. It's just a little bit of sometimes inexperience, a little bit of naivety from the Monaco squad and, and maybe it's explained by the fact that um they are you know a little bit a little bit young and and inexperienced in a way but also that you know they don't there's a lot of rotation uh, installed by Philippe Clément uh, and they are used to play against teams that park the bus usually. Nice is one of them, but Nice is a team that is strong uh, in counter-attack and, and they've showed it again. Uh, on the side note, I think it's important to note that uh, there's talents in this league in case we, we never know. And Sofiane Diop, who used to be Monaco and now at Nice, came in. But, but his younger brother, Edan Diop, also came in for Monaco. You know, um, sign of things to come. Uh, Monaco is doing okay in the youth department uh, as well. And, and so you know that they'll be here until until the end of the season. It's a faux pas for Monaco that, that lost against uh, Nice. And I'm sure it's something that we'll want to uh, bounce back from ASAP, especially now that there's no more uh, European Cup games to play. Um, they could have, you know, they could have overtaken Marseille on the league, and now instead they are still a third, two points behind the, the their neighbors. It'd be interesting to see if they can bounce back. I, I'm really looking forward to DJ uh, Digar and and how he keeps on keeping on and how he, he keeps getting the result and and how long he's going to keep the results for uh, mainly. Another game that I wanted to talk about, the other coach that is, um, you know, crystallizing all the attention this season, Will Steele, with, was it a 17th game without a loss at the head of Reims? Who would have known that Reims would have a 17th game undefeated stint this season? Well, Will Steele, 30-year-old manager, did it. Uh, and this weekend, it was an impressive win against Toulouse. Toulouse, one of the teams that, you know, is a bit of... You know, it's one of the best teams in, in Ligue 1 as far as the football play. There's, of course, a little bit of um, inexperience and a little bit of an ability, an inability, I should say, uh, to keep the momentum going for 90 minutes. But they were they were taken early. Junior Ito scoring at the fourth minute. Marshal Munetzi um, imitating him at the seventh minute. And then um, Captain Abdelhamid scored the third goal at the 68th minute. Toulouse was down 2-0 after seven minutes and was really never able to, to come back despite Van den Boomen, despite uh, having both uh, Dalinga and Abu Khlal and, and Rafael Ratao up front. They just weren't able to 
really bothered that Reims team enough. Uh, there was a great free kick by Branko van den Boomen from 30 meters high that uh, shook the crossbar, but, but eventually didn't go in. Uh, and it's a shame for Toulouse because we know how well they play, but how impressive it is from Reims. Um, they won 4-0 last week against Troyes. They win 3-0 this week against Toulouse. Uh, they're also showing that not only they're good defensively, they're good offensively. Balogun, I think, hit the crossbar four times or three times or four times during that game. So it's 3-0, but it could have been 4-5 or 6-0. Uh, it shows how, how strong and confident this Reims team is and how they are slowly but surely coming out of their shell even more. It's not only a team that can actually keep good results. It's also a team that can go and get them now as well. Um, and, and you're wondering when they're going to stop. I mean, we know that they lost in uh, in the French Cup against Toulouse, actually, um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but in Ligue 1, they're just, uh, they're just making it right now. Uh, Reims, they are not yet, you know, towards the, the top of the league. They are right in the middle, 10th, and they are, you know, nine points away from Rennes, who's fifth. So I don't think they're eyeing anything close to Champions League, but they're definitely um, sort of like saved themselves from relegation, was 16 points away from, from Ajaccio, uh, and they're looking up more than they're looking down, and, and I'm sure uh, anybody in Champagne is uh, is pretty happy to see that. Another game where uh, three goals were scored by the winner was Lyon against Angers. It wasn't great for Lyon, we'll, we'll, I'll say it straight off the bat. Uh, Thiago Mendes scored on free kick at the 38th minute. Amin Saar and Bradley Barcola scored at the 80th and 90th. Abdalassima um, made it two one at the 87th minute before um, conceding again. Angers is last at the table for a reason, and Lyon, despite that win, is really not reassuring. It's not the best football that they've played this season or ever, uh, and it's really inconsistent. They are ninth right now on the table. I don't think that they can really get back to um, European places, but they need to try and at least um, contest for it. They are six points behind Lille, who's six right now. And, you know, if, if one of those top teams does win the French Cup, there will be uh, uh, the sixth place who could qualify for uh, for the Conference League. Um, but I think Lyon has a lot of work to do. They've they've tried to play the youth again. Um, you know, they, they had um, Joe Mande on, they had Lukeba on, Le Penet was on, uh, Kakere, Sharky and, and Barcola. And Barcola scored eventually. Uh, without Lacazette, it's hard for them to find um, to, to find the target, basically, and to be as lethal as they should be. Um, Amin Saar and Jeffinho, the two new recruits, did go in. Uh, Henrique, that we hadn't seen in a while, um, came in, in as well, showing, you know, I guess the issues um, staff-wise right now for Lyon. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it wasn't great from Lyon, but it was a win. And I guess sometimes a win is, uh, is all you need for uh, a team like Lyon. Another team that would be happy that they got the, the win is Lille. Uh, Lille won 2-1 against Brest. The goal scorer, Bafo de Jacquete, at the 60th minute and Alexandro at the 80th minute. Alexandro, who hadn't played, I think, a minute in 2023 or at least hadn't started the game. Um, th- those two goals came after Brest had scored first or rather an own goal from Lille by Chago Jallo at the 8th minute on, on a corner kick. Uh, Brest, who was leading for a whole hour without a shot on target, they didn't even get a shot on target uh, for the whole 90 minutes. Three shots for Brest, zero on target, 18 shots for Lille and four on target. And Lille, who was patient and kept pushing and kept pushing and then finally got rewarded on corner kick. All three goals came for corner kicks during this weekend. Um, and Lille, who, who definitely is struggling a little bit offensively, um, you know, despite 
players of the of the caliber of Jonathan David, Jonathan Bamba, and Remy Caliba, Remy Cabela, excuse me. Um, they just don't score. And I think it's it might get costly in the end for them for their race to uh, to the European competitions. They need to find a way to uh, to have somebody who, who builds the confidence to score. They have a Mohamed Bayo on the bench. I mean, we know how strong Jonathan David is. I know Paulo Fonseca has tried a couple of times to put them next to each other and he hasn't worked out because he basically, if you remove Cabela, you're removing too much uh, fr- from this team. But it'll be interesting to see how they can uh, how they can finish the the season. On the high, rather than uh, rather than the other way around. Of course, missing Ismaili means a bit for for Lille again. Timothy Weha was playing as a left back on, on the weekend, uh, but they uh, they got the win. They need to keep it on. There was a weird tense um, atmosphere in that game. A lot of little you know nicks, a lot of little fights, and even the two coaches Fonseca and um, Eric Roy uh, went to argue with each other and Fonseca got red carded for it. Roy didn't get anything. Um, Magic Camara from Brest got a red card at the very end as well. Uh, so there was a lot of tension in the air for two teams that I didn't realize uh, were rival or or even sort of like acting like rival. Um, but, but yeah, 2-1 for Lille was the, the end result and and Lille would be happy to, to get that win, especially with the result that were in front of them in Ligue 1 this weekend. At the bottom of the table, Auxerre gave themselves a little bit of air, a win 1-0 in Lorient, uh, and a win that you know was probably one of the worst game of the weekend as far as intensity. Sorry for those two teams, uh, but a win that came as well a bit comically on the free kick by Ryan Raveloson at the 58th minute, uh, where he basically slipped and the ball kind of looked like it took. A, a deflection, but a deflection came from the grass because by slipping, he kind of pushed the grass on the ball. Uh, Ryan Raveloson, there was VAR to see if um, if both both feet had touched the ball when he when he kicked the free kick. Although VAR is actually not meant to check this, uh, but anyway, um, it was the one shot on target for Osser. It was the one goal, and Lorient, despite their um, despite their bet their best opportunity and intention. We were able to score Romain Fevre a couple of opportunities, one of them that um, he definitely should have put uh, in the back of the net. Uh, but it wasn't to be. And, and Lorient, who was so strong early in the season, are slowly but surely uh, letting that go. They're eighth on the table right now. In the past five games, they've lost three. Um, and, and they are definitely not in a positive uh, spiral right now. They need to uh, to change that and, and to try and... Well, they need to try and turn it around if they want to... Uh, to live up to what the beginning of the season meant for uh, Regis Lebris and his team. Another team that did a, a good mathematical operation, I guess, at the bottom of the table was Montpellier. They're not too much at the bottom, but under the Zakarian, they're really coming out. Montpellier was able to grab the point of the draw against Lens, despite considering after four minutes, Angelo Fulgini uh, punishing them on, on a goal where the Montpellier defense showed their um, I guess naivety by, by covering an offside that could have been uh, pretty easily um, whistled for them. Um, but then they pushed and then they were able to uh, equalize by Fetou Mawasa literally a minute after um, Danso for Lance had hit the crossbar uh, from point blank range. Montpellier is doing great against Derzakarian, very, very physical, a lot of intensity and being able to grab a point when you don't have um, Mavididi to start, he came in later on. When you don't have Savanier who's suspended, when you don't have uh, Eli Wahi who's been great for Montpellier this season, also shows that this team plays well together. Exagia, 
um, Sila, who came from, from Toulouse, I think he arrived in the winter, um, is showing that he's doing some good stuff onto the left side. Uh, and the whole team, I think, is slowly um, sort of like gaining aware of how good they could be. For Lance, it's it's just not it's just not as good as it was, is it? Yeah, Fofana isn't you know in the best form of his life. Abdul Samed neither, despite the great start. Fujini and Tomasson, who came in the winter, are straight away in the starting lineup behind Sotoka. Um, and it's just it's just not working as well as they would like it to be. And and I'm sure uh, Frank Ez will find a way to uh, remotivate his team and to put them back up forward. But you know, Luis Openda not starting removes a little bit of speed, uh, but also. Openda has been pretty wasteful um, in, in his way of playing football. So maybe that's why he uh, he wasn't starting on the weekend. But yeah, Lance, again, you know, the, at the top, if you don't get those results, you know, Marseille lost, Monaco lost, Lance drew. Uh, well, he gives other team, um, you know, the, the the right to dream, to come back. And, and one of those other team was Rennes. Uh, Rennes, who um, played... I'm sorry, against Nantes over the weekend and was able to win the derby of the Atlantic in Nantes at La Beaujoire. The goal scorer, Jeremy Doku, at the 20th minute. Renou probably was dominated for large parts of the game, uh, despite, um, you know, Nantes supposedly being less good on paper. Uh, but two teams who had lost over the, the week in Europa League and two teams who had, you know, played um, pretty long games and, you know, not losing 3-0 against Juventus and Rennes losing um, in at the penalty against Shakhtar Donetsk for, uh, for their own reason, where both probably damaging mentally. Um, yet both teams turned up and, and gave us a pretty good account of themselves. Uh, I think the, the two goalkeepers are to be commended. Both Lafon and Mandanda um, had a few saves to do when they made them. Uh, and, and in the end, the, the result went back the, the Roazon Parkway rather than staying at La Beaujoire, which means that on the table, they're able to put that extra pressure on the top, not on the top four, but on two to fourth, I should say, uh, because they're only four points behind Lance now, Rennes, and uh, yeah, it's a result I think that was important for them to make sure they confirm after the win from last week, especially after they had lost twice before that. The other results of the weekend, Clermont and Strasbourg drew 1-1, a bit of a lucky goal from, from Jallo. And then um, the equalizer came a bit late by Rashani. I think it's the first goal in like a month and a half or something like that from, from Clermont. So good that they were finally able to uh, get the monkey off their back. Uh, Ajaccio won 2-1 against 3-3 at court first. And then um, Ajaccio equalized, 3 got the red card. Ajaccio scored a second one which allows them to get out of the uh, relegation zone and to push Troyes down there um, in the meantime. Uh, and that's about the 10 games that were played in Ligue 1 this weekend. Uh, let's look at the table again. I, I spoke about, of course, during the pot, but uh, PSG at the top, 60 points. Um, you know, if they're not holding the trophy, they're holding at least the base and the handles and, and they're just waiting for uh, the, the cup to come in the middle. In the middle. Uh, 52 points behind them, or eight points behind them, I should say, with 52 points, Marseille. And then it's Monaco and Lens with 50, Rennes 46, Lille 44 at the very bottom. Angers, same thing, probably a foot and a half in Ligue 2 with 10 points. And in front of them, 3, 19, Brest 20, Auxerre and Ajaccio 21 and Strasbourg 22. It is tight. Three points between 19th and 15th and three out of those five teams are going down to Ligue 2. So it is tight at the bottom and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next 13 games. This week, of course, 
the French Cup. Um, only one game between two Ligue 1 teams. Uh, it's going to be Nantes against Lens. And then three Ligue 1 teams facing three Ligue 2 teams. Lyon is playing Grenoble. Toulouse is playing against Rodez. And Marseille is playing against Annecy to finish it. On the weekend, Ligue 1 match day 26, Nice will play against Auxerre, Lens will play against Lille, the Derby du Nord, uh, Paris Saint-Germain against Nantes, Troyes against Monaco, Strasbourg-Brest, Reims-Ajaccio, Toulouse-Clermont, Montpellier-Angers, Lyon-Lorient, and we'll finish with Rennes-Marseille, which uh, promised to be a very feisty game as well. Thank you for listening to Castle Ligne, the French football podcast brought to you by Breaking the Lines. The name is Jeremy Magan, the usual host. Subscribe, comment, rate it. Don't hesitate if you have any question. Uh, and I will see you next week for another podcast just before Paris Saint-Germain goes and challenge Bayern Munich at the Allianz Arena. Bye-bye. Thank you.